was so dark, I couldn't see my hand waving in front of my face. It didn't matter how long I stood there trying to adjust my eyes. The darkness stayed the same. It was like I could reach out and touch it, actually. I've never been anywhere else that was so dark as that. In a couple minutes, I heard a voice say, Watch this. And I heard a match being struck. And instantly, the entire cavern was filled with light from a single match. And where there was once darkness, now I could see everybody around me. I could see stalagmites and stalactites, and they made really weird shadows all over us and on the ground. And the room that I was in took on a completely different feeling, a completely different image than it had just a moment before. I was in Carlsbad Caverns on a tour of some of the caverns they have down there. And when the park ranger turned out all the artificial lights, it was like we were never going to get out of there. You literally couldn't see anything. It wasn't like when you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you have the clock on the microwave that's lit up and it lets you see a little bit. Or even the little red light on the TV. Or even your phone charger if it lights up or anything like that. There was no visual point of reference for anything. It's actually a really cool experience. Even in just a couple minutes, you started noticing that your other senses were being sharpened. Your hearing was more acute. Your sense of smell, your sense of feeling. You were more aware of your own breathing because you couldn't see. And I'm telling you this story because there's another person that I want to share with you, who I want to share with you, who experienced this kind of darkness, not just for a few minutes, knowing that he was going to get out on the surface out of that cave and live a regular life. But no, he was born blind. We find the story in John chapter 9. And I like this story because it teaches a really powerful lesson. Jesus passed by and saw this blind man And his disciples asked him who had sinned, whether it was the man or his parents. Because in that time, they thought that if you were born with some kind of a handicap, it was God cursing you for a sin you'd committed. But Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now picture that for a minute. You've been blind your whole life. Your other senses are sharpened, but you've never experienced visual stimulus. You've never been able to look at your mother's face and hold that memory dear. You've never been able to experience how peaceful and relaxing it is to lay in the grass and look up at the sky on a summer day and admire the beauty of that spectacle. The way the clouds seem to make shapes and as the wind pushes them, they keep changing their form. You've never been able to recognize your friends 
from the way that they look. You've never been able to see your own face in the reflection of water. You've never seen a tree. You've smelled flowers, but you've never seen how intricate they are, even though you can feel them. You don't know what colors mean, because when people try to explain colors to you, it doesn't really work. How do you explain colors to a blind person? How do you say red is like this, blue is like that? I mean, (laughs) it's not really something that I think you can do successfully. But he listened to Jesus. He went and washed his face in the pool of Siloam. And I imagine that if I were in his shoes, I would probably have done the same thing because I'm sure I would have tried to be healed finding out different ways that people said it could work, but really deep down inside knowing nothing was going to happen. Nothing was going to change. But this day, for whatever reason, he decided to go with it. And when he washed his face, he was able to see. What must that have been like? His brain, if you had put it under an MRI, would probably have been lit up like a Christmas tree. I can only imagine how excited he must have gotten. I bet you he was jumping up and down and dancing and yelling for everybody to look at. And he didn't even care because he was so excited about the fact that he could see. A lot of us can't really relate to that because we haven't lost our sight. Or we haven't lost something that meaningful to us that we take for granted every day. Sometimes we get a taste of that when it's the loss of a loved one that we're experiencing or some other thing that we were used to having in daily life and is for some reason taken away from us. But this man was rejoicing, I'm sure. And what happened was that in those times, if you were healed from some kind of disease or condition, you would go to the religious leaders and they would pronounce you either healed or not. And so in verse 13, it says that they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were unhappy with what happened because Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. And these people were very legalistic. And they thought that that was work. And they didn't like that Jesus had gone against the rules that they had placed. But their rules weren't the same as God's rules. God's rules are always for the better of mankind. They're always for our best interest and to bring us peace and joy and a satisfied life. But the way that these Pharisees were treating the law of God was a way that was oppressive and it had resulted in developing a culture that did not seek to bring healing and unity, but it actually did the opposite. It ostracized people who they didn't think measured up to their righteousness. And so, They asked the man what had happened. Verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents, the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So when so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. The center column reference of my Bible says they excommunicated him. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not may see that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remains. Now, this story is very important because each of us has an idea of what God is like. We have our own preconceived notion of who he is and why, and that picture we have of him determines the way we relate to him. We're bound to the way we view God, and it affects er every area of our lives. The Bible reveals many facets of God's identity, especially because there are three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Most of you listening probably come from a background of faith. That brings about its own mix of perceptions of God based on our theology, culture, and personal experience in reference to that faith. Some of you who come from this background are strong in your faith, but it's quite possible that others are going through a time where you don't feel much affinity for God, faith, church, or the responsibilities those connections have. 
Some of you listening may not profess any faith at all. Some of you are probably wrestling, wrestling with cognitive dissonance from questions that plague you. You wonder how God can be all-loving, yet allow evil things to happen. You wonder why God didn't spare you from the heartbreak you've had, the abuse you've endured, the absence of a parent, and the doubt you can't shake off. You may struggle with overcoming a sinful habit that leaves you emptier each time you indulge it, despairing at your lack of resolve to be free of the source of your guilt and unhappiness. Some of you wonder why you can't find purpose, meaning, contentment, and fulfillment, no matter how hard you try to find a way to be complete. You wonder why joy is so elusive. Your loneliness sometimes drives you to be open to things or relationships you wouldn't normally consider if you were whole. Sometimes you pray and it feels like your prayers just hit the ceiling. You've heard stories of and even met people who have incredible faith and seem like they have everything together, but they may as well be from another planet because they seem so foreign. Sometimes people look at you and think of you that way, but you know deep down inside everything's in shambles. For some of you, church feels like a box you just don't fit in. The elements and order of the service, with its seemingly arbitrary process and cookie-cutter look, don't inspire you to worship. You see videos on YouTube of people at Hillsong concerts, apparently completely given over to the worship experience, but you can't relate. You wonder why your emotions toward God don't line up with that picture, which you've assigned as a standard of what it looks like to be completely surrendered to God. I want to read you a brief passage from this book called Dangerous Prayers by Pastor Craig Rochelle. It really struck me, and I think you'll benefit from hearing this. It says, James, the half-brother of Jesus, instructs us to draw close to God and promises that God will meet us when we do. James said, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. In the Old Testament, God was talking about prayer, explaining that he listens when his people pray. Then God boldly promises his children that you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. See Jeremiah 29.13. And that previous passage was James 4.8. God is not playing hide and seek. He wants you to know him and delights in showing himself to you. Seek him. Draw near to him. Cry out to him. He is there. You will experience him when you seek him. Watch for him and cry out to him. You might feel his presence as you drive down the road singing along to a worship song. You might sense his presence as you sit in awe of his creation, admiring his work as the sun rises brilliantly in the morning. You might notice that he's with you during a simple bedtime prayer with your child. The doorposts don't have to shake to know he's with you. It may be a simple awareness that he never leaves you and will never forsake you. You may feel his presence in a supernatural way. You may know that he is with you. But even if you don't feel him, you can rest assured that he is with you. Sometimes you know he's with you, not by feeling, but by faith. How do you grow toward not only praying but living this dangerous prayer? It starts with experiencing God's presence. The blind man in John chapter 9 experienced God's presence when Jesus sought him out and healed him. And then when he had found out 
that he was cast out of the synagogue and reviled by the Pharisees, he went and found him again. And he made sure that he knew that he had encountered God in person. The blind man wasn't able to answer this with specifics when he was asked. Really, he was being grilled. He was being interrogated under extreme duress about how he had been healed. The Pharisees just wanted proof. They were hoping that there was none to be had, but they couldn't deny the fact that there were multiple witnesses saying that this was a man born blind who could now see. It was obvious he could see. You can tell when somebody can see and when they can't see. When he was asked what had happened, all he could say was that he didn't know. He had just, some man had put clay on his eyes and told him to go wash his face, and now he could see. And what's the point of all this? We don't have all the answers to all of our questions. A lot of our questions are really good. And they're, re- they're reasonable, they're rational, they're understandable, and they're relatable. But the blind man shows us that we don't have to have every single answer to every single question about things with, that have to do with God, his motives, his actions, his reasons for things that he's said for us to do or not to do. If we have an experience with God, nobody can take that away from us. It doesn't matter what questions were asked. If we know that our experience is authentic, that's all that we need. Now, I'm not saying just always have a blind faith and don't ask questions. Quite the opposite, actually. I always encourage people to ask questions. I always ask questions myself. But I recognize the finitude of my mind and the short duration of my life. And I know that I'm not going to find all the answers before I die. And so I'm content to experience God as much as I can in every little thing and in every big thing and to develop an experience with him that gives me enough to believe in even though I don't have every single answer. The blind man being healed didn't know who healed him, but he still believed because he knew what had happened to him. It's funny because this is the only area in our lives where I would wager we think that we have to have everything figured out before we can step confidently forward into belief. There's a lot of stuff in the world that people study that even the experts on those matters don't fully understand. Biologists can't tell you definitively what life is. Clearly, you can tell when something is alive, but when it dies, where did that energy go? How did it initially achieve inception? We know that quantum physics exists, but even quantum physicists will admit to you that they know very little about that field. There's a lot that we don't understand about the world. The good news is this. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. So will you consider the invitation of John and at least look? And for some of you believe and for others of you believe again the next episode is going to look into who god the father is and i think you'll really find it fascinating because we'll be able to find out how much our earthly relationships influence our perception of who god is to us
And that happens for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So tune in for episode three. Thanks so much for listening. And if you have any questions or comments or any ideas for future topics, please let me know at edificationstationpodcast at gmail.com. edificationstationpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Instagram at edificationstationpodcast.